0: Hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I am so glad you decided to spend this hour with us today. You will not regret a minute of this episode. I am so thrilled to be bringing you Natalie Norton today. You may know her online as kind of a spiritual type guide, life coach, photographer, all around Extraordinary Mom. She has an extraordinary story, a life journey that is unlike many other people's. The amount of challenges she has faced. And the way that she has been able to overcome those challenges and keep moving and keep in a direction of thriving, that is what we're all after in this life, and she is truly doing it. So we're going to get to the bottom of how she does that, what her mindset is, how she thinks we can all adopt more of that mindset of positively overcoming challenges. And we're even going to talk about her most recent challenge when her son Lincoln was hit by a car um, over the summer. But we'll hear how he's doing and just catch up with her. Out of all my guests I've had so far, I would probably call Natalie the guest most likely to eventually sit down with Oprah. (laughs) But, you know, you can always just say you heard her here first. So let's just get to my conversation with Natalie Norton. All right. I am so thrilled to be chatting with Natalie Norton this morning. Hey, Natalie. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I have... Been a follower from afar for a long time, we have several mutual friends, and I'm just thrilled to finally get to pick your brain about motherhood, which is a topic that you sometimes cover, but I'm excited to go deeper today.
1: I am really excited too.
0: Yay, yay. So for people that don't know you, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I live in Hawaii on the North Shore of Oahu. My husband, Richie, and I are both entrepreneurs. Um, We both work in consulting, and my husband also does um, product sourcing. And we've got three boys, Um, our oldest is 14, we have a 12, almost 13 year old, and we have our youngest who just turned 11. And then we do have a fourth little guy who passed away in 2010.
0: Yeah, and I'm just still so sorry to hear about that, but I love how you remember him every year and talk about him and and incorporate him as part of your family life. I'm a mom of three boys too, so I think that endears (laughs) me to you even more.
1: Yeah, it sure is an adventure, isn't
0: it? It is. It's just never a dull moment with the boys. And, you know, I just hear as they get older, the food, the amount of food consumption I hear is just baffling.
1: It is inexplicable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, I, it, it seems absolutely impossible. To see on top And of. it doesn't seem to be slowing in any way, and so I'm a little bit concerned. The biggest problem right now is, though, that I'm preparing so much more food that I'm eating more food also. Oh, shoot. Oh, (laughs) shoot. so we're running into a whole other set of circumstances (laughs) that I was not prepared
0: for. Oh, man. So funny. So funny. Well, I was listening to you on another podcast the other day, and you're talking a lot about your parents and your mom specifically raising you with this kind of self-awareness type vantage point. And I think that's actually really rare for somebody of your parents' generation to then have you growing up in this – I don't know. I feel like there's a shift happening right now moving towards self-awareness, but I think it's kind of rare to have had that earlier on in life. So how did that kind of shape who you are as a person up to the point where you became a mom and then your vision of what motherhood would and could be like?
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that I wasn't aware that I was raised in any different kind of an environment than anybody else was because it was my only normal. It was all that I knew. And so it wasn't until I reached college that I kind of started to realize that, wow, like we're all coming from backgrounds. That don't look nearly the same as the background I came from, and um, I think that a lot of it could be attributed to just my parents' expansive understanding and their expansive desire for um, education. They studied a lot of Buddhism when I was when I was growing up, and um, they they're Christian, they're they're LDS, and they they always just found a way to incorporate. All different kinds of dogmas and different kinds of spiritual educations without feeling at all as though it threatened their underlying spiritual beliefs. And because of that, I was exposed to a lot more than most people are. And I don't know... That I had any level of awareness that it was any different than the way that anybody else grew up. Mm. Um, in addition to that, my dad was one of the founding partners of the Covey Leadership Center um, back in, I think, the early 90s or late 80s. And so, in that realm as well, I was exposed to so much as it relates to personal development. Um, my dad worked with so many amazing thought leaders, and that was just the norm. You know, people have friends and their families over for dinner, and for most people, it's, you know, it's an Neighbor down the street who's the dentist or the the <laughs> the guy who owns the car dealership or the mechanic or you know whatever. Right. And I, you know, I was dealing with best-selling authors and their families, and the kinds of dinner table conversations that we had looked a lot different than maybe other people's dinner time conversations looked. And so as I've gotten older and experienced more of the world, it's only now that I'm really seeing how incredible that was for me in my formative years. I had no concept of how privileged I really was as it related to the level of exposure I had to different ways of thinking and being.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to jump in real quick and let you know about one of our show sponsors and that is Aura Organic. I don't know about you, but I want to put the best stuff in my body, but with all this information about supplements and things like that, I can get kind of overwhelmed. Well, Aura Organic is making it simpler for moms and professionals to incorporate healthy, nutritious supplements as a daily part of the routine. One of my favorite products of theirs is the organic acai powder. I throw a scoop of the very good flavor into my smoothies for me and for my kids, and I know we're getting an extra shot of that superfood that can only help to supplement our health. I love their Nothing Fishy Here fish oil spray that tastes like oranges, so yummy. And I love how clean their protein powder is. Because let's be honest, so many health food products are cluttered up with full of extra preservatives. So this is what you can do. Try Aura Organic with 15% off your first order using the code EMP when you go to www.aura.organic. That's it. They have so many different products to choose from, and I hope you'll find one that you love. So thank you, Aura Organic, for sponsoring this show. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Natalie Norton. I'm sure that was shocking to you when you're like, oh wait, like you don't, you don't know these people or you, you don't they have <laughs> yeah, this type of conversation. Yeah. So for people that are listening, that are thinking, well, that sounds great. And something like I would want to do, but I don't know bestselling authors. I don't, yeah. I wasn't raised with that mentality. What are some simple yeah. things that they could implement today, starting from scratch with that type of desire to pursue personal and professional development?
1: You know, what comes to my mind is is something that I really, really have gleaned onto throughout my entire parenting career, so to speak. Um, I read an article years ago. It was like in a reader's digest or something. So I have no idea the validity <laughs> of the of the statistics that were shared. But it was talking about this study that was done about um Different, different families and the way that they, that these families were being raised and these children were being raised, and they were talking specifically about parents and, and, um, and self help education and saying that are people who read all these self help books better at parenting because they're reading all these self help books, or are they are the people that buy self-help books better parents to begin with oh, Do you know what i mean yes
0: and because they're the kind of people who are looking for this kind of information and it just sort of made me
1: laugh but i really i've never forgotten it because it made me think about myself cuz i of course you know i i started reading self-help books when i was as young as probably 10 or 11 mm. and um it was just because that was what was accessible to me um a lot of us have you know bookshelves and we have like maybe a row of books for like our toddlers and then maybe a book, a row of books for things that are maybe a little aspirational that we're hoping that they'll start to look at and, and progress towards. And my home growing up was no different except for that on shelf number two for me, were books by people like Stephen Covey or mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Viktor Frankl, um, maybe even philosophy things and, and things by Nietzsche. And it wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of aspirational reading as others, but really what it came down to was exposure. And so, you know, I think that my education was a little different, but in another home, it may have been... Something else that we glean onto, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not really doing anything any differently, it's just choosing the ex- it's directing it's exposure. the exposure differently, right? Yeah, and so I think that most great parents are exposing their kids to the things that they value, and I think that that's what my parents did, it wasn't anything like. Groundbreaking. They were just exposing me to what they valued. And I think that if we can get really clear about that and say, you know, I value this kind of understanding of the world and how are ways for me to make these things accessible to my kids. Um, you know, another thing that I think is really important that my parents did, and I don't know that it was like even a conscious thing, but they read a lot. Mm. I very rarely remember, in fact, I don't know that I actually have a memory of my dad ever. Sitting down and watching television without a book in his lap simultaneously. Really, like he was always reading, whether he was watching television or I even remember this is horrible, and I probably shouldn't say this like <laughs> over the over the interwebs. But um, I remember actually being in the car with him once. He was driving me home from school and he was reading a magazine or, I mean, a newspaper like as we were driving.
0: <laughs> and I remember being like,
1: Dad, I really don't think that this is a good idea. And now, of uh, course, in this new world with like texting and things, it's right. like the most horrendous thing you've ever heard. But right. they were just always, always, always reading. And wow. I think that that modeling for me um, was really valuable as
0: well. Yeah. So it's not so important to mimic exactly what your parents did or what you're doing in your family. But it's, OK, what do we value? as a couple as a family what yeah. we want our kids to know is really important and can help shape you and exposing yeah. them to that and making those deliberate choices even from a very s- early age I love I that I love
1: specifically that you said making those deliberate choices because <laughs> I think that that is where a lot of us um, get a little bit fogged up, it's not that we don't have the best intentions in the world. It's that we just aren't incredibly intentional about those intentions. And so we just assume that because we're living a certain way and making certain decisions, our children are just picking up on all that, which is which is true to a point. Mm-hmm. But it's also a matter of sitting down with your spouse, your significant other, if you're a single parent, sitting down and like doing the work to get really clear about what it is that you value and that you want to pass on to your kids. And then just making sure that those things are accessible to
0: them. Mm, I love that. And, And you make it sound so simple and it truly is. It's just getting back to those basics. And it's like you need to identify what you want to be intentional about before something big rocks your world, right? So you want to address and and show you how to value technology and phones and those kinds of privileges before there's a major issue with it. You want yeah. to, you know, do that that preparatory work so that you're kind of setting them up for success, not like, okay, we, we value educate higher education, but it's not senior year and you're suddenly like, come on, kids. Like, where's the SAT <laughs> prep book, Let's you know? get you into college. Right. Yeah, it takes a I, while. I definitely agree with that.
1: And I would also add that it's never too late.
0: Yeah, right? that's like, great.
1: No matter what we're doing... We're making a difference in their lives. They are—they're picking up what we're putting down, so to speak. And I think about certain things that my parents did really well when I was young that maybe they didn't do as well as I got older, or certain things that they didn't really implement until I got older. And all of these things play into the the fabric of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times, um, parents beat themselves up so much because they think that, oh man, you know, I wish I could go back in time this many years. or I wish I could do this part differently or, but wherever you are is the perfect place to begin. Mm. And, you know, from my own life, I've experienced quite a bit of tragedy and we've had quite a bit of, of just tumultuous things that have sort of uprooted our lives. And in each of those times, it's been really hard to be incredibly intentional about parenting because our number one intention has been survival. Mm. And I think that, what I what I have to be really careful about and what I work really hard on and what I really try to model for my kids as well is the reality that sometimes you are going to be knocked flat on your back and that your best will always be enough. Mm. And I think that even in those times where I'm not being as an, as intentional as I wish I could be about teaching them specific principles or modeling specific behaviors for them, I'm modeling for them what it looks like to be a human Mm. and that it's okay to be broken and that it's okay to have things be really hard for a while. And even that education is valuable for them. Them seeing that a person can be badly broken and can get up again and can still live a beautiful life. And that then at that point they can pick right back up again into those things that, that are most important to them. And above and beyond anything else, I mean, there are periods of time that I look back on and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I really feel like I dropped the ball for them as it relates to their education during that period, or as it relates to um, their character education, or, you know, whatever it may be, where they, wherever they were developmentally at whatever age it was, like whether it was when my brother died and I was dealing with that grief, or when my son died, or then we had, um, we were working to adopt these three kids. We had a, a daughter who was eight at the time she moved in, or, I'm sorry, seven when she moved in, and then her biological siblings who were twins who were one year old. And they were in our home for two years. We were under the impression we'd be adopting them. And then very unexpectedly, they were reunified with their biological mother after two years oh. in our home full time. Oh. And all of these things really create a great level of upheaval, right? And that would be expected. And it's really easy for me to go back and look at those specific times and correlate them to, you know, the developmental things I should have been doing for my kids during those times when I was barely holding on for dear life. And what I have to think is, yeah, maybe I quote unquote dropped the ball, but maybe the things that they picked up are just as valuable in different ways. And maybe because I believe that I'm enough for them inherently because they're mine and that's not an accident. I believe that my children are my children and whatever it was that I taught them, as long as I was doing my best will always be enough and it will always be exactly what they need. And -hmm. I guess that's the message I would want to say. Yeah, of course we want to be doing all this work in advance. We want to lay down foundational things and do the very best we can because we love these kids and life is big. And sometimes We are not going to be able to follow through on all those best laid intentions and that is okay.
0: Oh my gosh. Chills. Oh, and I'm so glad I'm 34. I'm so glad I'm hearing this message now. You know, how many people don't hear this, that their best is good enough? How many people are going, rehashing their past and beating themselves up for what they didn't do when they're 50, 60 years old with this knowledge and this belief that is deep seated in me. I can go forth really believing and understanding this. And I can, and I can move forward with faith and with hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and something else along that same vein. Um, I think a lot of times what we do as well, I'm 36 Mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time in, um, how do I say this in the most dignified way? Um. I had a lot of anger and resentment for certain things in my childhood that I felt should have been done differently or, you know, just like that judgment. And I think that all of us, as we get older, develop some level of righteous judgment towards our parents, right? (laughs) Like, well, I would have done this differently, you know, and it's not that they're, they're awful. It's just that we think we know everything because we are clearly so much smarter (laughs) than they are. And, um, I think that the interesting thing for me as I've, as I've gotten a little older has been the grace that I now Look back on,
0: hmm. um, or that
1: I now that the filter of grace through which I now see those formative years of my life, and the more I go through, the more I realize that my parents really were doing the best they could. Yeah. Even at the times when I look back and I think, gosh, they really dropped the ball. Really, when I now know things in context with the level of understanding I now have, I have so much more compassion for them, and I think that as a parent, that even is such a valuable thing to realize that where we came from, there trying to see the good in that. And that was very healing and good for me. Now, granted, I came from a really exceptional background, and I recognize that.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that for
1: some people who came from things that were really, truly horrendous, of course, we're talking about a completely different situation. Sure. But one of the things that has really informed me as a parent has been offering that um, that grace and that understanding to my own parents, and it really has helped me to offer the same to myself like the point yeah. is perfection and we'll, we'll always fall short if that's what we're searching for
0: oh absolutely absolutely and I mean and you touched on there have been a lot of of tragedies and a lot of loss in your life and and you must think every time it happens like ser- <laughs> seriously <Yeah. I> guess? <laughs> like us d- like did doesn't God know like we were already we were already hit a couple times like yeah. we don't get another one do you feel like you are better equipped with each successive phone call or the news or each event as it's happened. So like you lost your brother, which was terribly tragic and life shattering to you. That was like the first big
1: yeah.
0: shift, right? Right, Natalie? Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And then you had your foster um, kids and, and there's been a few things since then that we'll go into. But does it get any – do you feel more equipped, I guess?
1: Yes. Um Man, it is such a tough question to answer. Yes, absolutely, yes. That is the answer. If I'm being literal and and okay. absolutely transparent, yes. And it makes me
0: so sad that that's true. I know. You know I, mean? I I get it. I like, get it. I remember when I got the phone call that um, that
1: Lincoln had hit by been hit by a car, and um. I mean, he was in the intensive care unit. We really almost lost him, especially for those those first few days and the first week, 10 days-ish. I mean, it was touch and go, and we we're very, very lucky that he is still with us. And um, I remember when I got that phone call, I was at Target, and I remember, honestly, in that moment, making the differentiation between the way that I felt right then and the way that I felt when I found out that my brother had died, and realizing how much better equipped I was, which is an interesting feeling. Just yes. In the moment, be aware that what you're going through is just as traumatic, but you have an increased capacity to handle it. And so it makes you so sad, but but simultaneously so grateful.
0: Mm. And
1: um, so I look at all these different things that we've been through, and I I – I do feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude because I do think that I have a greater level of fortification than I could have had, had I learned these lessons, um, in a more of a theater or, um, theoretical kind of way, like sure. through books or through
0: other know, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, as awful and as horrifying as it has
1: been, I really, really do have so much gratitude.
0: Hmm. And and when that first event, when you lost your brother, did you ever think it was possible that you could ever experience anything like that again and you'd be able to get up the next day and keep going? Yeah. Well, right? first of all,
1: I just never thought that I would ever be asked to go through anything sure. like that again because sure. it felt like a quota and the quota had been reached. Right. You know, like – That's the max. This is a big, hard – horrifying thing that we are facing because, you know, my brother and I were best friends. It was just he and I. And, um, we didn't, we, I mean, I do have two half sisters. Um, they're older than me and did not grow up in my home. They, my dad was married before my mom and had two daughters and they were raised by their mother. And of course I love them. I just, I just didn't have a relationship with them because Mm -hmm. we didn't grow up together. And I very rarely saw them. And it's only been in adulthood that we sort of started to develop a relationship. And really it's been since my brother died that we've started to develop a relationship. So I hate leaving them But at the same time, I want to illustrate just how close my brother and I were because it really was just the two of us. And um, man, when he when he went, I just I I could not imagine ever suffering like that again. And I didn't think I would ever have to because I really firmly, deeply believed that that was like I said, that was the quota and we'd reached that quota. And so um, almost like yeah, that was so hard and I hate it, but now we get to move forward with our learning and fly free, you know? Right. And little did I know.
0: Little did you know. And I think for some people, big big events like that do cause a shift in perspective. And for that, we can be grateful for that event. But then there's kind of a backsliding that happens, right? You kind of get back taking things for granted again. Do you, do you sense that kind of backsliding after some of these events? Or were you able to maintain that perspective? And if so, how do, how do I do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, that's something I'm going to have to think about for just a second. Because um, I do think that there is backsliding, of course, that happens. But fundamentally on the deepest level you are changed yes it's like as though um your whole life people have say they've explained to you oxygen air that you breathe in and out but you can't really concept you can't really understand that because it's not something that you can see and then one day you don't you can't breathe mm-hmm. your air is taken away and then forevermore you understand what air is that can't That that understanding of what oxygen is is never going to go away ever again, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes you may breathe in and out all day long and not really think about the fact that you're breathing in and out all day long, Mm -hmm. but at a fundamental level, you are so thankful for oxygen, and that will never change is that that's kind yes. of an analogy
0: but does that sort of make sense absolutely um, yeah so yeah. so I'm sure there's dated you know moments day-to-day day where you're like you know you're you get really sick and you're like this is the pits this is the worst yeah. I just want to get better and you have that human response but then ultimately you're like but I'm alive I have yeah. these kids in front of me and well you definitely yeah.
1: have a much more robust um compassion and empathy.
0: Sure. Um,
1: recently, I it was actually after our – I hate calling them my foster kids because they were my children. I, that just yeah. that makes it seem – seem different than it than it is and was. But um when the kids left, I remember sitting down, we were we, we went on a road trip as a family for like six months. We just needed to regroup and kind of huddle up together. And it was a very intentional decision. We just needed some time to be with our people. And so we bought one-way tickets to New York City, we rented a car and we just drove across the United States, up and down and up and down, all the way down to Mexico, all the way up to Canada, across Canada. And we just decided we would just go until we felt done. And um, it was such a wonderful opportunity um, for us to really huddle huddle up. And since my husband and I, like I mentioned before, are both entrepreneurs, we can work from anywhere. And so it was a financially feasible thing for us to do, and it was really, really exceptional. But at the very beginning of that trip, I remember um, we were staying in this weird little campground in upstate New York. And um, Richie was in the pool, and I was dangling my feet over the edge, and I was just sort of like – just tearing up and just feeling the weight of the loss and just missing my kids and worrying about them waking up without their mom. And, and I was all that the twins knew and just mm. to have, I, I was so worried that they would feel deserted. Like she just disappeared. I just never came back one day. I just was there. And then I wasn't, it just wow. it broke my heart. And I just said, you know, this doesn't feel fair. it It feels disproportionate. And Richie so lovingly said it is disproportionate for a middle-class woman in the United States Hmm. living in, you know, a a, a safe environment where she has an education. Um, Yes, for someone like you, it may be disproportionate, but think about the world as a whole. And it was like, everything just expanded out from me in that moment. And I started to think about the millions of people all around the world who experience great loss as a normal part of their life. People who live in war, war torn countries or people who are are living in really significant poverty or people who don't have the, have access to drinking water or, and just the perspective um, that shifted for me. And I think that that has maintained and I, I, now when things are hard yes i do still feel bummed about them but i'm a lot less um knocked off course by hard things because mm. i get what hard really means and it almost feels sometimes like i'm being disrespectful or dishonoring um the hardship of others mm. when i complain about silly things like not that not that things are silly but like when i yeah. have a cold i've been sick right. like since the beginning of the year and i've been complaining about it and that just seems so frivolous you know when there's people like dying across right. the country from the flu right now you know right. it just like puts things like that into perspective and I'm so thankful for that but then of course you walk that fine line between wanting to um, not to not to disrespect other people's hardship while simultaneously honoring your own because I think that we also run the risk of dishonoring our own hardship by mm. saying, oh well, it's not as bad as that so who am I to be sad and yes. who am I to hurt and that's not healthy either
0: Everyone, I wanted to interrupt one last time to thank another one of our sponsors, and that is dailyburn.com. Daily Burn is the fitness program you can stick with and get results from the gym is not for everybody and depending upon the season of your life, working out from home is literally the only way you're ever going to make it happen. So gaining access to thousands of fitness videos in varying styles and athletic levels and with little to no equipment required, that is a plan that I can stick with. They provide personalized workout plans so you can choose expert-led workouts of every kind and it gives you the motivation you need to make it a part of your daily life. If you visit dailyburn.com slash EMP today, you can start your free 60-day trial. That's dailyburn.com slash EMP. dailyburn.com slash EMP, and that's 60 days for free. That's double their normal trial length. I love being able to share the solutions that are working in my busy life in hopes that it can help you in your busy life. So thank you so much, Daily Burn, for supporting the show. All right, let's get back to my amazing conversation with Natalie. And so what, what ratio would you say in teaching this to your children is modeling versus explicit teaching with your own words, telling them what, what you want them to know? Do you know what I mean by that?
1: Yeah, I totally get the question. I just don't know if I can give it accurate.
0: (laughs) Please give me the data on that.
1: I definitely, just who I am as a person, I'm a teacher, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm there's never a short of a shortage of words <laughs> in this home. You know, my husband and I are both authors and like we yeah. we speak we speak to audiences for a living. Right. And so my poor kids are probably just like, Oh my gosh, our parents are like fire hoses of information <laughs> But um and I think that that just is, like, our personalities and, and who we are, um, but I don't think it's, like, necessarily, like, a concerted effort that we're making as parents. It's just the way that we discuss life and the world. We're constantly talking about things. Um, so in that respect, I'd probably say, like, 50-50. Yeah. Um But I I always and forever think that it's the modeling that the kids are absorbing way more than the words. And so even though it may be 50-50 in terms of, like, how it's actually being presented, what they're picking up is probably 80% modeling, 20% what we say. Right. even though the presentation is 50-50.
0: Yeah. Even when you're talking about it, you're showing them that you value talking about it and discussing it and hearing from other people what they think about certain topics and things. And that becomes an act of modeling as well. Yeah. So, And I think we cannot understand underestimate doing that from a young age like we were talking about you know how you grew up from a young age it's just that was your norm you know you show you show your kids what the norm is and when you get them involved in conversations and when you help them to know that their opinion matters and their viewpoint matters they will grow up with that confidence to exert that that their thoughts
1: and that's absolutely been true you know Mm. we had kids very young um I had my first when I was 20 I think I might have turned 21 right after he was born Mm -hmm. but um I a lot of our friends had kids later or they were younger than us and so now they're just having kids um but anyway because of that when we're together with a bunch of adults the other kids who are present are usually really little a lot littler than our kids and so all the kids will go off to play and then all the adults will sit and talk that's how it is whenever you have a dinner party yeah. or kind of a mm-hmm. gathering right Well, what I notice is my older kids, my my oldest two, and really all three of them will end up kind of congregating with the adults. And sometimes I sit and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want my kids involved in this conversation. It's a little bit of an adult conversation. But then I look at them and I realize like they're right up to par with this conversation and Mm. they feel as though they fit and they feel as though their thoughts are going to be validated. They're not self-conscious about sharing what they feel. They're not self-conscious about asking questions and exploring. And I think that that's maybe what we've modeled more than anything is just the ability to speak your mind and to ask questions and to not feel ashamed for not knowing things. Mm. Um, If anything, that's maybe what we've modeled best is the, um, there's not a shame um, there's not a culture of shame at all in our home, like really anything. Like if you're wondering about anything, we can talk about that. You're never going to be told you're stupid or that that's a silly question. Or, And I think that because of that, we've got really curious kids who are really comfortable asking questions and learning.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So as a mother of primarily boys except for your foster daughter, do you think differently about raising boys and how you want to teach them and what you want them to know? Is that any different in your mind or is it the same?
1: Yeah, no, it's very different. that's yeah, and I that's didn't what I realize think. even mm-hmm. how different it was until I had a daughter, right? Okay. Um because my only perspective was boys and then suddenly I've got this little girl who's 7 and I'm and it was a whole new world. Um but I, I do approach it differently with my boys, and I worry for them um, in different ways. I, I think that w- what's happening in the world right now is there's so much going on as it relates to bringing attention towards women's issues, and I think that that's valuable, and I'm thankful that, that those things are happening. I worry a little bit about the disenfra like there's that there's this disenfranchised thing that's going to go on for our sons. Mm. Um, I worry, I worry about a lot of things that are that could potentially be unintended side effects. Of a lot of the women's lib stuff that's going on sure. and and I, I, I hesitate to bring that up because i'm just sick of hearing it frankly um, <laughs> and then and then also because I know it's such a hot topic, and i don't want it, when I say I'm sick of hearing i don't want to under- i don't want to right. undervalue it either you know i mean it, it's just it's just such a hard thing um but because I have all sons, it is something that I have to think about, and I have to figure out how the vernacular is affecting them. And, um, that is, I mean, in answer to your question, that is the biggest challenge that I think that I'm facing right now as a mother of boys is how to support this movement of, you know, equality and, um, and respect and, and just all the things that we're working through. I don't have to, to paint them that yeah. out. Trust me, all of us are very aware. It's all we hear about. <laughs> yeah. But I'm trying to figure out how to, to balance between teaching them to honor and respect that, but also not to feel small or less than because of it. Right. And um, so that's a really tricky thing for me right now because of the ages of my children. Um, Definitely things that are gender-specific are coming into play a lot right now in my parenting.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting that, yeah, especially in the teenage years and with the height of the political climate and just everything that's just so charged right now, you're in a really tough territory you know specifically yeah, in in this in this time that we're living in but um yeah it's just interesting to to think about the differences between the genders and and what we really need to intentionally i don't know educate them on while not diminishing the other half of it, too. It's tricky. Exactly. It's tricky yep, stuff. It
1: very challenging. And I have a little niece. Um, she's actually not really my niece, but she's my niece. My, yeah. her, her mom and I are very best friends. And I am so thankful for her presence in my life mm. because it brings me back down to earth sometimes when I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I think, you know what? I am raising little boys that will become the men with whom she associates. Mm. And that helps me a lot because I realize, like I'm teaching them just in being good men, how to be good partners and how to be good humans. You know, I, I, I have some friends out here. I mean, in the area where I live, there's, um, it's a very mixed political culture, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of people who have like the future is female shirts, and um, a lot of shirts that say like future feminists, and like little boys will wear them, and and it's great. I have no problem with it. It, it. Honestly, I have no problem. It doesn't affect me. I think it's wonderful. I think it's fun, but I just want to create a shirt that says like humanist,
0: you know, and <laughs> just like have my
1: boys like wear these shirts that
0: say like we're all human. We're all in this together. I am in yes, this with you, you mm. know. And I'm really, really trying to
1: teach them to to figure to, – well, we're all navigating it together. So really I guess what I'm trying to teach them is how to navigate something that's challenging.
0: Right. Well, and I think the problem comes, and we've seen this a lot lately, is when you're taking a side by putting down another side. Yeah. Wh- yeah. Why does that need – like it's fine to state your opinion, but then to have to knock the other side of it and bring them down so that you can be lifted up. Let's I just – meet in the middle and and use our voice. It is really hard. And I'm,
1: I'm really Mm -hmm. thankful that people are willing to raise their voices Mm. and to talk about how hard it is. I think that the number one disservice we do one another is when we stay quiet about things that are harming us. And so I'm so thankful that there's dialogues that are opening. And hopefully what we'll do is rise to the occasion and learn how to have those dialogues in ways that actually uplift and actually make positive change and don't just create more discord. Yeah. And so what I'm hoping is that we all learn together to rise to the occasion and that's certainly what I'm hoping that I'm teaching these boys.
0: Oh, I I have no doubt that you are and we are we are learning from you Natalie. I'm I'm right behind <laughs> well, you with we're my little boys. We're we are from each other. We are Can we talk just a little bit about Lincoln? How yeah. how is Lincoln? Will you tell people briefly just what happened over the summer and how is he yeah. doing? Cuz I just my heart just breaks for you but to see him living life and doing normal boy things it just makes me so happy
1: yes it makes me so happy too every day when he gets up and heads out the door to school and puts his helmet on and jumps on his bike i just about burst into tears every single time it's just so amazing to me yes um or when he paddles out on his surfboard and i just think like this little boy couldn't even walk back in august you know it's just such a miracle Mm. so um yeah he was hit by a car um I have a lot of love for the driver. I I know no one would ever intentionally do something like this and, um, heaven forbid it should ever happen to me. You know, I, I, I just have so much compassion. He was rushed to the hospital. Um, his lungs were collapsed. His liver was lacerated. Um, he, I mean, his, facial reconstruction that we, I think he went, he underwent like four or five facial reconstruction surgeries in the first few days in the hospital, um, surgery on his lungs and his liver. And there was bleeding around his heart. I mean, he was very, very unwell Mm -hmm. and he was intubated for quite some time and it was really touch and go. And the traumatic brain injury was also another real concern, um, in terms of moving forward. But, miraculously, I really, there's not another word. He is doing so well. Um, There are a few more things that may need to happen. He may need a couple more facial reconstructions as he gets older. But right now, he is just done going under the knife. And I feel like I can totally respect that. Because 10 surgeries in, you know, three weeks is plenty. Yeah. (laughs) For a little boy to undergo. And so I feel like if at this point he's calling uncle and saying, I just need to take a break. I am totally down with supporting that decision.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I am so thankful for your family that this was the ending. You certainly, oh, you de- certainly deserved a win on the end of this, that on the end of this I one. Feel. Yes,
1: definitely. That's how I feel, and I just, I'm so thankful. And one thing that has been interesting for me is, you know, I have a lot of friends who've lost children because I've lost a child, and I feel like it's almost like the blind date kind of thing. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, you really need to talk to my friend. She's single, and you love each other. For me, it's like, oh my gosh, you really need to talk to my friend. Her daughter died. <laughs>
0: you know and like, like, you end up these are my them. people yeah <laughs> actually
1: and it's great like it's such a great thing but um a lot of those friends who've lost children um have developed a tremendous amount of fear and per- like this great desire to protect their children um it's like amplified that that mama bear within us that all of us have inherently has been amplified in many of their lives mm-hmm. and i have not experienced that since my son died um i, I I don't know if it goes back to that quota thing where it's like, I think, you know what, like the odds of them getting hurt or dying too are low, so I think we're okay. Or if it's just that – I I don't know, but I haven't experienced that. But since Lincoln's accident, I've actually experienced that quite a bit more. I um, I have to really watch myself because I don't want to um, – I don't want to model fear for them. I don't want them to become hesitant or to become reluctant. I want them to be cautious and careful. And I've always modeled that for them, Mm -hmm. but I don't want them to be um, scared. And, and I don't want them to second guess themselves. I want them to trust their capacity and I want them to feel as though they can take um, measured risks and um, they're brave and they're, they're rambunctious and they're very talented and, you know, thankful. I I mean, I, I, what are the odds that all of them have developed these hobbies that are high risk hobbies? You know, I mean, they all love to surf. They love to photograph these big, huge swells where they're getting pounded in this like 20 foot shore break. And it it is hard for me. It's always been hard for me on some level, but now it's like, it is really hard for me. So that's something that, me myself right now i'm ha- i'm really having to work through my own my own fears and my own tendency towards overprotection mm-hmm. um because i really don't want them to absorb any of that because that will not serve them in their lives to to feel um unnecessary fear and um so that's something that i'm working on right now
0: yeah we cannot be afraid to live just because we realize we're mortal or our kids yeah, are mortal exactly. right exactly. and 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 i totally get that tendency once you almost have someone take it from you and you have had people, you know, actually taken from you. And so... Yeah, that that's a lot. I'm sure there's yeah, people it is.
1: but Lincoln is doing great. Aww. In answer to your question, he really is doing I'm well. I'm so, we so thankful for all the people who have rallied around him. It just it brings me to tears just even think about it. I'm just so grateful. So I feel wonderful. like it was our win, but it was also everyone's win because everybody yes. invested so much love and prayer and light into that little boy and it made a difference. It really did.
0: Absolutely. Oh man, I could not be more happy for your family in that So I'm sure there's moms listening who feel like they have been dealt a hard hand. They have been hit more than what they feel their quota is. Maybe they're in that space now, or maybe they're still grappling with the past. What would you tell that mom listening right now?
1: I would say, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And you're probably right. You probably have been dealt a hand that isn't fair and um, it's awful and it is still your life. And I think that one of the things that's hard is when we get stuck in the space where we feel really sad and sorry for for ourselves, even if we have every right to be there, and it is a logical response to the stimuli of our life, um, it still is the life we have. And I think that what happens is often we get stuck in the righteousness of the injustice, right? Like we we deserve to feel what we feel, and that's true, and it's still our life. Mm. And so really at some point we have to make the choice do i show up for this and and move past those hard things and choose to be vibrant and alive and take my life back from this injustice or do i choose to stay and continue feeding it and and i say that with so much sensitivity Because I know it's easier said than done. I really do get that. You've walked Um, that.
0: Yeah, you can say that better than anybody. I don't know, but I I certainly do have some perspective. Sure. But I, I
1: just want those moms to know that what they're feeling is okay. It's natural and it's normal. And it's okay even to move through it and still keep kind of relapsing into it here and there because we're human and that's normal. Um, But if we're camped out there and we think, we put down our stakes and just say no, this isn't fair and it isn't right and we allow ourselves to just like stake down inside that poison, that's exactly where we'll stay. And so at some point we have to choose, I say this a lot and I feel like a broken record, but we have to choose to stand up on top of our story rather than drowning down inside of it. I'm not walking away from the hard things I've gone through. I'm not devaluing the significance. I'm not devaluing the injustice. I, I mean, we, the, the way that my, my first son, my, my son died um, in the hospital and um, there were a lot of things that happened that could have potentially happened differently that could have potentially saved his life. And I could sit in that for my entire life because oh, yeah. he could still be with me. And what good would that do anyone? That wouldn't serve me. That wouldn't serve his memory. That wouldn't serve my living children. And so at some point, I had to choose to say, you know, this is my story and it's a part of me, but I'm not going to suffocate down inside of it. I'm going to stand up on top of it and move forward from here. And that's the message and the example that I hope that I'm setting for others is the the reality that each of us, if we have a why that we can live for we truly have the capacity to do anything. It's like that Nietzsche quote, um, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how, something something like that. But that idea that if we have meaning, and sometimes you have to pick your own meaning, because we may never know, I may never know why my son died, I may never know why my brother died, there may not be an answer to any of those questions, and I could drive myself mad seeking for that answer. But if instead I can just say, you know what, I'm choosing the meaning to be, that I now have a greater capacity to love others, hmm. and I can throw myself into that meaning. It gives me something to live for, and so instead of suffocating down inside of those things that I might be tempted to suffocate down inside of, I have something worth getting up and out for, <laughs> and I think that that's, that that's true of anyone if they choose it.
0: <sighs> Man. In the intro, you haven't heard this yet, but I said I would call you probably the most likely person to ever sit next to Oprah that I would ever have on the show. <laughs> I got a super soul Sunday, and this is why i mean it golly you are just you are someone
1: listening i just want you to crochet that on a pillow and send it to me okay Okay,
0: exactly exactly (laughs) to sit next to oprah and if i'm calling it now then you maybe (laughs) take me along with you maybe that's how this works i'm not really sure
1: we're a package deal.
0: Exactly, exactly, <laughs> Natalie. That is just so huge. I just have one more question on that. So as I I started going to therapy last year, and I've really been working on the the difference between knowing what I should be thinking or could be thinking that's more constructive and rewriting narratives and things like that. Yeah. And so there's there's the knowing what what is good and helpful and what would be most helpful in my life. And then there's the actual implementation. And so like in those dark days where you're kind of in survival mode, and it's hard to, to pick or maybe just outside of the survival mode, you know, that yes. outside of that initial grief, um, when you're trying to implement those things that you're really learning for the first time and it's not coming naturally yet, yeah. but you know what you could be doing to feel freer and you know, and you know what you would tell a friend with so yeah. much compassion and love and grace, but you're struggling to do it yourself.
1: Yeah. You know, there's something that you said in that sentence that really stands out to me. And, um, it's that, that idea of should, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like we should all over ourselves all the time. Uh uh What I should be thinking, what I should be feeling, what I should be doing. And we have to remember that all of our thoughts are a construct. They're something that we've created. They aren't always based in reality. And in fact, Very rarely are they a fair representation of truth and reality. And so I think that if we can move out of should and just say, where am I today? And then embrace ourselves there, meet ourselves there and let that be okay. And say, okay, if this is where I am today, what's the best I can do from here? And then allow ourselves to let that be enough. And a lot of that comes down to developing a greater self-awareness and self-love. I think that one of the things that was the most miraculous for me in that great breaking down of everything that I was that came through the trauma and the grief and the hardship um, was realizing that when I was in the ashes of it all, there was no one who was going to show up and love me but me because no one had the capacity Right. I mean, a lot of us like we may look to Christ or we may have um a different dogma that 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 guides us in different ways. Um and a lot of, and that's all beautiful and true. And then on some fundamental level, in terms of what you can see, it's you. You are there for you. And and recognizing that with inside of myself and recognizing that whether all of that came from God or whatever everyone's belief system is, it's intrinsic. Mm-hmm. It's in us. Um And realizing that strength and that power that is intrinsic and learning to trust that so fiercely, that is where you go from here. Hmm. You learn to trust the self and you learn to, when you say to yourself, this really is the best I can do today. You learn to believe you, you become your own advocate and your own best friend. And there have been times when I have literally looked at myself in the mirror and said, Natalie, you will survive. Natalie, you are enough. Natalie, you have what this moment takes inside of you. You have everything there that you need. And I really hope that those who are listening can hear that message in their hearts as well because I'm speaking to you and to you and to you. Mm -hmm. You have what this takes. You have what you need. And it's not something that you need from a self-help book or from a podcast or from anybody outside of you. Intrinsically, inherently, you have everything you need within you. And if nothing else, please trust that because that is what guides you through that is what makes all the difference
0: your boys are really lucky to have you <laughs> <laughs> i am
1: lucky to have them and
0: and because we, yeah
1: that keeps you alive you know like like, I I hate talking about these things. And, and we skip over the darkness, because that's not really the part that we're talking about the heroic journey, right? We're not talking about the deepest darkness of it all, right? Um, Because that's not the story. We have assumptions about the dark part. Like, yeah, we know burying a child is really hard. We know, you know, we know that these things are hard. But I think that in that sometimes we, we skip over um, the messiest, ugliest, grittiest parts of the journey. And um, in those dark, deep, Pretty, just all-encompassing, scary times. It was the thought of these boys counting on me, hmm. knowing that I, um, I, I'm their person, yeah. and that no one could step in and fill that role the way that I could. And that why, man, the motivation of love for someone outside of yourself can certainly, certainly create miracles because I don't know that I would have survived if I didn't have them to fight for.
0: No, you're living proof of that. What's the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn or perhaps you're still learning it?
1: Okay. Um, This is, (laughs) this is maybe an interesting answer and I, I don't know that I would have ever expected that this would be the truth, but this is really the true answer. The thing that took me the longest to learn was perhaps that hard things could continue happening and that that was Okay. I think that um, after my son died, after my brother died, I don't know that I believed I could handle any more hard things. And then specifically when, when my kids came and when I started to get wind of the fact that they might be leaving, I remember thinking like that I would, of course, survive, and that almost made me feel angry. Like, of course I'm going to survive and God knows I'm going to survive. So he's going to make me go through this hard thing because he knows that I'll survive and I'll glorify him. And, but that doesn't feel fair no. that just because I'm good, all these hard things keep happening. And I had this idea in my head that somehow hard things were happening because I was good and because I would glorify God in the hard things. And I think that that was all happening maybe on a subconscious level all along. Um, but it's been in the last maybe year that I've realized that hard things just happen that it, no one's doing hard things to us. I don't I don't really think that God's up there like pushing a button that says, okay, now this really hard thing's going to happen to you. Another one really for Natalie. Yes. Right? I, <laughs> right,
0: I don't think that right. that's
1: how it works. I think that it's just life and hard things happen. And they're not about how righteous or unrighteous we are. They're not about how worthy or unworthy we are. We just live in a world that is by nature decaying. Mm -hmm. Right. Every Mm -hmm. moment the earth is dying. That's that. I mean, things are born and then they die. Every living thing. That's what's happening. And we live in this world that is falling apart and and we're doing our very best to live within it and to be joyful. And because it's not perfect, because it's constantly decaying and falling apart, sometimes some of that gunk is going to get on us. And that's just life. And it's not it doesn't mean that it's unfair. It doesn't mean that we're being picked on. It's just life Mm. and we'll survive all those things if we can remember who we are and that intrinsically, inherently, we have everything we need to overcome all things. And, you know, I don't know how much like religion I can bring in. I'm not- As much
0: as you want. This is your story. This is your story. I think this might be appropriate. Yeah. Um, You know, people will
1: say things to me like, oh, you're so strong or- well, God doesn't give you more than you can't handle. God must trust you so much. And these are, you know, these are the kinds of messages that people tell me. And they I mean, that is so kind. What kind and loving things to say. Um, and I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe I'm stronger than anyone else. I don't believe that um, God looked at me and trusted me so much that he gave me all these hard things. Um, but I do definitely think that maybe... God gives us all these hard things or at least allows these hard things to happen in our lives so that we'll turn to him. Mm. Not because he thinks that we're so amazing that we're going to glorify him, but because he wants to remind us to turn to him. We need him, right? Like that idea of God can't give us more than we can handle. Are you kidding me? I've had so much more than I can handle. I could never have handled these things without God. Mm. And so way more than I could have ever handled. And yet through God, I was able to overcome all things. And I just, I I think that in learning and in growing um, through all of this, that may have taken the longest time, but it may also be the most profound. Because now I really don't have as much fear um, about big challenges. I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned before, I worry about my kids' safety and things like that, but that's more in a general way. But I really... I don't feel as much stress in my life. I really don't. I don't feel as overwhelmed by things because I really have faith that things just work out, even the yucky, ugly ones. Mm. Because if you would have told me after my brother died that within the next four years, I would lose my son, I would get these lovely children, fall deeply, madly in love with them, and then they'd be taken away from me. And then within just two years after that, or I'm sorry, a year after that, my son would get hit by a car or that I would have um, a mental problem that left me without the use of language and without the ability to recognize my own children. And I mean, that health scare was very significant. It happened um, maybe a year and a half ago. And if you would have listed those things for me in a bulleted form, I would have laughed. There is no way that I would have believed that I could have handled those things, no way. No way that I would have ever been able to imagine, and yet here I am. and. Every single one of them, there was light on the other side and perhaps more light because now I know the darkness. The same as I talked about before, when you don't know oxygen, you you don't yeah. know oxygen until you know the lack of oxygen, right? I don't know that I ever understood light until I knew darkness. And so now the light is so much more radiant. So not only did I make it through, but I made it through to a space that was even more beautiful than before. So now when hard things show up, things that maybe in the past would have knocked me to my knees and freaked me out and given me so much stress and anxiety, it's so much easier to just take a breath, stay in the present moment and trust that everything's going to work out. And it always works out in the end. And if it has, hasn't worked out yet, then it's just not the end. Just wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is so powerful. Yeah, we didn't even talk about your health, but that's a whole other show. Maybe you'll come on in a few <laughs> months. I would love to know more about that, but you are so extraordinary, and the most extraordinary people are the ones who probably say, oh, no, I'm not extraordinary, but really, it's really – extraordinary does not mean perfection.
1: You know what? Honestly, I am extraordinary. Oh, I and love it. Yeah. And so are you. And so
0: is yeah. every single person listening to this show. That yeah, is, yeah, yeah, that is absolute truth. We're
1: all extraordinary. Yes. And if we can just show up for that and really trust and believe that – Man, what we're capable of doing and becoming is so much greater. So I will take that
0: compliment. Oh, good. <laughs> and I will run
1: with it because I believe it's true of all of us. I we're do. We're all too. extraordinary. We're doing we're doing this. We're showing up every day and we're doing this and it's hard. It is. So I think we all deserve that
0: gold star. I do too. Oh, Natalie, this has been such a pleasure. I always ask my guests just one final question and it's this what would you tell your pre motherhood self?
1: I think that I, I'm I'm assuming I'm echoing what a lot of other people have said because this just to me seems like the most obvious thing. I would tell her it goes so fast mm. and those things that you that you stay up at night over, worrying over and, and fretting over aren't really that significant. That all that really matters once all's said and done is showing up and looking those kids in the face every day and letting them know that they fit with you. That there's always space for them with you. That you are always there, and that once all said and done, all the other things that we think we're failing at, or the shortcomings that we may see, they're really they're really irrelevant. Um, I'm not going to oversimplify it by saying all we need is love, but I certainly do think that that there is power in love that is perhaps the most significant tenant that we can that we can offer our children as we as we raise them and so i think i would just say to her just love them love them and love them well love them hard love them well <laughs> and everything will work out
0: i had dr laura markham one of my favorite parenting experts on the show and she said anything can wait but love
1: Anything. Amen. Anything. Amen.
0: Natalie, this has meant so much to me hearing from you today, speaking about motherhood, sharing your light. Thank you for letting us into your life and into your journey to learn from what you've been through. And just thank you for using your voice for so much good. You are truly extraordinary.
1: It really was such an honor to be able to talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is being a mom. I don't get to do that very often, so I appreciate that so much. It was just such a joy. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Have an amazing, amazing day. I feel like I've been taken to motherhood school. (laughs) Oh, Natalie, that just penetrated my heart so deeply. You touched on so many things that I'm currently facing in motherhood right now, struggling through and learning right now. And it was just so incredible to get to speak with you and um, hear you speak from the heart about your motherhood experiences, from your trials, and to hear how it is completely possible to, to be knocked off your feet again and again and think seriously again, but to realize... What you said at the end, that hard things could keep happening and it was all going to be okay. And that was okay. And God was still mindful of you. Whew, powerful. I know some of you are sitting somewhere right now feeling like you've been there. You've had the rug sweeped out from underneath you and you just don't know how to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But that's the key, Friends getting up in the morning and thinking, what do you have to live for? Because there's a reason that you are, you are here. There's a reason your kids are yours. You can do this. And I just felt so empowered, um, through what Natalie shared with us today. So thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on the show you can follow her on social media and everything. I love doing that. Um, everything will be linked at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com If you follow, want to follow me on Instagram you can do that at JessicaDolquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. This Friday is a Mom of the Month award winner episode so keep nominating. I am going to pick a winner this afternoon and set up an interview for this Friday so I'm excited to share um, that award winner. So thank you so much if you've already nominated we always get so many incredible Women being shared um, for the show. And it's very, very hard to pick. So thanks for making my job tough. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.